And now our sermon text reading is Matthew chapter 11, a few verses back, a few chapters back rather, Matthew 11 verses 25 through 29. Verse 25, Matthew 11. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor. And are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. May the Lord add a blessing to us. Holy word. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for uh, the songs that were sung and the liturgy and the readings that were read and now lord we pray that you would bless the preaching of the word that your people would hear with eager ears and hearts may they be like mary and sit at your feet as you bring as you brought the word to them and lord you uh, praise mary for that because you said that she chose the good part and so lord help us to choose the good part this morning and help us to hear the word May we be challenged by it, convicted by it, comforted by it. And Lord, may uh, we hide the word in our hearts so they might not sin against thee. And Lord, there's one that does not know you today, this morning, we pray that today, that you would open up their hearts and their ears so that they might receive you and receive your great gift and that you would save them. Bless us in this hour, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. It is... Uh, Always a pleasure to be here. I'd like to thank uh, Pastor Danny for the opportunity. I pray that he will be safe this, uh, this weekend. Um, those of you, if you don't know me, I am a chaplain in the Navy. I just got rung off on the ship and now I'm in Coronado uh, Naval Base and I will be there until some, at least. Probably the fall and August, I'll find out what's next for me. So mid-August, hopefully, I'll know more of where I'll be and what I'll be doing. So that's just a little update on, on myself and my situation. Well, let's look at the Word of God. Well, <clears throat> I went to the uh, mailbox the other day, and I've, it's been a couple of days since I, I went, uh, and I looked and I looked at all of the mail that was in there. And as I was sifting through the mail, most of it was just credit card offers. Offers to try a new restaurant, offers to buy a car. As I said, offers to buy a credit card. These credit card people are so nice, they're going to give me zero interest for a year. Isn't that very nice of them to do that? But it made me think that you know, especially as we watch TV and as we uh, maybe listen to different things, how many times we have been tried 
uh, to be sold something? How many times have uh, we've had offers to us? How many times have we um, been enticed or asked to buy something, to join an organization, to join a group? You young people, as you are going through high school, especially as you get to your junior year, you have all type of offers. You have military recruiters coming to you telling you to join the military because uh, you'll get money for college and you'll be able to see the world and you will be able to uh, serve your country. There'll be plenty of colleges that will come to you inviting you to join their college to enroll there and to they promise you um, a good time there and you'll be able to find a good job and so on. Then there's job corps, there's um, uh, tech schools, there's so many different people offering and inviting us to join their group or to follow their program or to buy their product or whatever it is. And the beauty of many advertisers is that they realize that advertisement works. It's reported during the Super Bowl, I think each advertisement was like $2 million for per advertiser. I think I'm right about that. Maybe more. But $2 million. Why would they spend $2 million? Because they realize that if they can get that product in front of you, they might can convince you how important that product is and that you will buy it. And that's the beauty of advertising is that when they convince you that what they have you need and that your life will not be the same unless you have that product. Well, I'd say all that because Jesus today invites us to him. He invites us to follow him. He invites us to join his kingdom. The setting of this chapter is found really in Luke. And Luke, we see that, I think it's Luke 10, where we, we see that Jesus, uh, the disciples, he sent the disciples out and the disciples came back excited because they were casting out demons. They were doing amazing things. They were uh, uh, preaching the gospel and so on. And Jesus makes this great point. And there in, uh, in our text today in verse 25, he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. In other words, Jesus is saying that the world might be very gifted in many things. They have gigantic intelligence. They are well-versed in many things. They obviously understand uh, uh, many complex things in medicine and science and business and technology. They're known in their field for a gigantic intellect and for great work and for great accomplishments. But when it comes to the word of God, Jesus says they're ignorant. It's been hid for them. Jesus says this, that the, uh, uh, that, that it's been hid from the world, the wisdom, the worldly wise. Who are the worldly wise? Those who are wisdom, those who are wise by the world standards. Those who love the world, those who seek to live their lives apart from God. 
Those who follow the ways of the world, the things of the world, the plans of the world, those who seek to live their lives not following Christ, not serving God, not following God. And Jesus says that the, the, the gospel has been hid from them, that the wise, the wicked, are ignorant when it comes to the gospel, ignorant when it comes to the word of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that the that the things of the gospel, the gospel, the, the Bible, the word of God, that this, the, the natural man doesn't understand it. Nor can he. Why? Because he's ignorant. Because it has not been revealed to him. Some believe that they can go find God, that they can go on a pilgrimage. They can find God. We cannot find God. God is too strong for us, too powerful for us. We are too weak, too sinful, too ignorant. It must be revealed to us. And that's what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 11. That the word of God has to be revealed to us. That it's been hidden from the wise and revealed to little children. Why does he say little children? We think of children for a second. They are inexperienced in a lot of things. They don't know a lot. They have to be taught. They have to be trained. They have to be developed. You have to constantly, repeatedly, over and over again, Teach them over and over again. Help them over and over again. Help them to understand. They're ignorant when it comes to a lot of things. And that's the way the world looks at Christians. Those who are uneducated. Those who are not educated by the world standard. They look at them as children. As ignorant. Isn't this the way the world looks at believers today? You're ignorant because you believe the Bible. You're ignorant because you believe this book. You know the Bible is full of lies. Don't you know that the, the gospel is not true? The miracles are not true? You believe that a fish swallowed up a man and spit him up onto the ground? You're ignorant. This is the way the world thinks of Christians. But Jesus says that the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. The Apostle Paul says that. And God has chosen to reveal it to babes, to children, to the fishermen, to the disciples. He chose to reveal it to them. In other words, the Bible is a, is a Bible revelation. God reveals it to us. How do we know? How do we believe it? Because it's been revealed to us. God has opened up our hearts and our minds and our spirits so that we might see. And why did he do that? Because we are worthy of it, because we are, um, uh, because God looks at us and says that we deserve it. He says, no, because it says in verse 26, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. In other words, it was the good pledge of God to reveal the word of God to you so that you believe, so that you hear it. Maybe there was a time in your life you felt the same way that the world feels about the gospel. You thought it was foolishness. You thought it was silly. You didn't want any part of it. And yet God opened up your heart and your mind so that you might see, so that you might believe. God chose to appoint it in a time where you believe, where you see, where the light is turned on. Why? Because we walk in darkness until the light is turned on. And once the light is turned on, then we believe because God does that. So God has opened up his word for us so that we might see. Well, what did he open up? What did he reveal? Well, he revealed to us Jesus Christ. And 
this morning, just for a few minutes, I wanted to just talk about a couple of things here that we can learn from this text. First of all, we learn the claims of Christ. Well, Christ tells us to come to him. Well, who is Christ that we should come to him? When someone uh, acts as an authority or someone acts as an authority figure, don't we want to know something about that person? Someone writes a book. Hey, buy my book. Well, who are you? Why should I buy your book? Or if uh, someone claims to be an authority figure or someone claims that they know something, we want to know something about that person. In the military, when a general or admiral or someone stands up to speak, he's the keynote speaker, they have a bio. They list all of the things that the general or the admiral has done. You read it. Okay, this person's got this background, this experience, and so on. Why? Because we want to know before we go, before we follow them. And my friend Duncan is uh, into computer programming. I think AI is, uh, he's the enemy. No, I'm just joking. But, uh, <laughs> but he's in the computer programming. Suppose I told Duncan, Duncan, uh, uh, there's a big conference for computer programming for AI. Have me come and speak at this conference and I could be an authority. And Duncan agrees. He goes, tells his boss, and, and I go, and, and all these greats are there. It's uh, Reverend Johnson is going to speak on computer programming on artificial intelligence and I stand up and I say something to well I don't know a lot about artificial intelligence I do have a laptop I know about Microsoft Office and Microsoft Word and and I do know something a little bit about chat I think GP I don't know whatever it's called uh, and that's it well thank you for your time well we think it's going to Duncan's going to be fired and um his wife's going to be upset with Duncan. The kids, they have no food. Someone's got to take Duncan in because obviously I know anything about computer programming. Sorry for picking on you, Duncan. But, um, but in other words, what I'm saying is that we got to have some qualifications, right? we got to know something about uh, the person. So Christ gives us some qualifications. Well, what qualifications does he give us? He says, first of all, all things have been what? Handed over, in verse 27, over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. In other words, Jesus says he's qualified because, because of his role as a mediator, all power and authority has been given to Jesus Christ. He's got power over all of the invisible thrones and principalities over all of the rulers of the world, over all the governors of the world, all judgment has been committed to him. He is qualified to judge. He's qualified to save. He's qualified to damn us. He's qualified in all these things. He has all power and authority in his hands. And we see it over and over again in the Gospels. They ask, who can forgive sins? Jesus says, which is the easier, to tell the man to take up your bed and walk? Or to forgive sins. So that you know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. He tells the paralytic, take up your bed and walk. He has power over the demons. As you see there with the demoniac. They said, we're a legion. We're many, many demons. And the demons saw him. They trembled. 
Have you come to destroy us before our time? As he cast demons out. People says, what type of man is this? Even the demons listen to him. He's got power over creation. He tells the warder, peace be still. Jesus has power over all things. He's got power to heal all manner of diseases and sicknesses. When John the Baptist came to him and says, Are you? when John was confused, he was put in prison. He thought the kingdom was to come now. He thought that Jesus was to do judgment now. And he asked, John sent his people and asked Jesus, Are you the one or do we look for another? And what did Jesus tell them? Tell them that what that the gospel is preached, that the blind received their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Jesus has all things in his hands, and the Father has given that to him. There's been no mistake. There's a unique sonship between the Father and the Son. No man knows the Father except the Son. And no man knows the Son except the Father. And whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. And so he is the king of the world, the ruler of the world. All thrones and principalities, visible and invisible are in his hand. All power and authority is given to him. And so because of those are the claims he makes, then he tells us the invitation of Jesus. He says, well, come to me. Who? Who are to come? Those who are burdened. Those who are lowly, uh, verse uh, 28, uh, excuse me, yeah, 28, it says, Come to me all who what? Labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, come to me. Those who are convicted of sin, those who feel guilty of their sin, those who are burdened, those who are weak, those who, who, who are in agony, in torment over their sins. He says, come to me. He said, oh, Reverend Johnson, uh, Chaplain Johnson, I've, I've done that. I've gone to the church. I've tried the church and it hasn't worked. Jesus says, come to me. But Jesus said this. Many of the Jews at that time were, were burdened with their sins. And how were they burdened? Because the Pharisees misinterpreted the law they required that the traditions of men, that they followed the traditions of men. And Jesus says they put heavy burdens on them, which they could not follow. And how many times have people, churches and different religions have misunderstood the law of God. So that you must do this to become saved. You must follow this plan to be saved. You must follow this way to be saved. You must do this. You must come this way and come that way. All of it. And it does not relieve the burden. It does not relieve the, the, the guilty conscience. Yes, we love the church. But Jesus says in one sense, do not come to even to the church, but come to him. We can't come to the law of God. The law of God will condemn us because of our sins. We have sins that need to be paid for. And we cannot keep the law of God. Paul says, by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. No one can be saved by the law of God. 
our human traditions, our resolutions, our our self-imposed burdens that we put on ourselves. None of these things help us. Religion is a wonderful thing if it's used in the right way. Religion is to bring us to Jesus Christ. And yet, the devil is crafty because oftentimes he uses legalism to seek to uh, have people come to Christ, which they can't. But then he goes the other way and he uses antinomianism as well, without law. There is a doctrine today that really speak of that many people are starting to more and more discount the church. Even evangelicals don't think religion or church is important. They say, I follow relationship and not religion. I was on the uh, plane about a year ago, coming back from Chicago, and, and on the other side of the aisle of me, there was this person, I overheard him, he was, I guess he was witnessing to a Jewish lady, and the Jewish lady asked him at some point, well, what church do you attend? And his answer is, I don't go to church. I don't believe in organized religion. I don't believe that religion is is um, uh, is is relevant or biblical. All I have is the Bible and Jesus. Well, that's just as bad as legalism, because the church is a means of grace. Preaching, the sacraments, baptism is a means of grace. They don't save us, but they get us to where we need to be. And that's point us to Jesus Christ. It's like if you're watching TV and you want to see the game, you turn your TV on. Is your TV the game? No. Your TV is the means by which you can watch the game or watch the news or watch your show or whatever it is that you're watching. Now, I don't know how that works. You can talk to Duncan afterwards. He knows more about that than me, but... But the point of the matter is, is what? Is that is the means of grace. That is the means by which we watch it. And the church is the means by which to get us to Jesus Christ. So the law, the church, in this world will not free us from sins. Only Christ can do it. And Christ says to come by faith. He invites you to come. Yes, we are Calvinist. United Reformed Church is a Calvinistic denomination. Hold to the five points of Calvinism. But yet, we do not neglect the free offer of the gospel. And Jesus tells you to come. If you're burdened, if you're labor, if you're heavy laden, if you have a guilt of sin, come to him. He invites you to come right now. And we do it by faith. God, faith and repentance are a gift that God gives us. He expects us to utilize it. God does not believe for us. He gives us the gift of faith so that we believe. He does not repent for us, but he gives us the gift of repentance so that we do not believe. So if we ever say, well, I'm not going to come. I'm going to wait for God to draw me. I'm going to wait for God to do. We will never come because God has already given us the means. He's given us the word. He tells us to come. 
You come. He tells us to do it by faith. When God healed the, when Jesus healed the blind Bartimaeus, it says that Bartimaeus was crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And they were telling Bartimaeus, be quiet. But he wouldn't stop crying, Son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't say, oh, well, if it's God's will for him to heal me, or maybe God uh, left, he cried out. Son of David, have mercy on me. And this is what Jesus wants for us to do. To come to him. Without faith, it's impossible to believe. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We can't come without faith. And Christ gives us that faith to come to him. But he tells us to come, all who are laboring, heavy laden, heavy laden, and I'll give you what? Rest. Rest. What does that rest mean? Forgiveness. Forgiveness for our sins. Comfort and peace from the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I got peace which the world cannot give you. He gives us his joy, his rest, that we are okay with Christ. That Christ has removed our sin. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Psalm 32. And whose trespasses are covered. What a blessing. He says to come to Christ and we can find that rest. Rest for our souls. Forgiveness for sins. Burden cast off. Why? Because Christ did it. So he tells us to come to him. Not to another person. Says, yeah, I've tried that. I I used to go to church, but I don't anymore. Because those Christians are hypocrites. Or I used to go to church, but the pastor fell into immorality. And I I just... I uh, got so discouraged, I stopped going to church. It's funny, I was listening, watching, reading a meme on Facebook this weekend. It was pretty interesting. Maybe you saw it where this lady goes to the pastor and says, Pastor, I'm not going to church anymore. And he says, why? He says, because at your church, I see people playing on their phone. I see people gossiping and people are hypocrites. So I don't want to be a part of that anymore. I'm not going to church anymore. And the pastor was quiet. Then he says, I tell you what, take a glass of water, fill it up, and walk around the church one time. So she did that. And the pastor said, did you see anyone gossiping? Did you see anyone playing on their phone? Did you see anyone being a hypocrite? She goes, well, no, because... I was too busy making sure no word is spilled on the floor. And the pastor told her the same way you were careful to make sure water did not fall on the floor. Because you were so focused on that. When you come to church, you should be so focused on Christ that you're not worried about where's the hypocrite or who's gossiping or who's playing on their phone. In other words, it's come to Christ. And he gives us rest. And then my last point is this requirement. The requirement. He says there in verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. 
That word yoke there means a, a, like a yoke, a, a, like a, some type of rope that you use to, you put on a bull or oxen or a mule. It's like a work animal, something that you're led around. And Jesus says, put one of those on you. You say, oh, pastor, that now you've gone too far. I was digging you about the rest. I understand that. Okay, I can come to Christ. But you ask me to put a yoke that's barbaric. That's wicked. We're, we're Americans. We're free. We don't do anything like that. Well, might I say to you this, that that even as Americans, I know we think we're free and we don't follow any rules and no one's going to tell us what to do. No one's going to tell us how to live. And, and I'm not going to uh, have anyone control my life. You know, young people, isn't that what you say? It's my life. You can't tell me what to do, Mom. You can't tell me to be in at uh, 11 o'clock if I want to be at 1. You can't tell me I can't hang out with this person or that person. You can't tell me what to do. It's my life. I'm 15. I'm 16. I'm old now. I know what I'm doing. Jesus tells us this, that, and the Bible tells us that there's no one who's free. We all have yokes around us. We all are controlled by someone. Even in, even in our, our daily lives, we, 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 we follow some rules. We have to. If you are driving on, on there on, on route, five, on, uh, Interstate 5 there, and you see that cop there, aren't you gonna slow down? Are you gonna say, cop? I'm going to drive as fast as I want to. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) You have to show up at work on time, don't you? There's certain things you have to do. But even in the spiritual world, we all are subject to someone. We're either subject to Jesus or we have the yoke of the devil in our sin around us. The world tells us to be free, enjoy our sin, live any way that we please. But we are slaves to our own sin. Jesus told uh, the Jews that. And the Jews' answer was, well, we are Abraham's son. Who are we a slave to? And Jesus says, he who commits sin is a servant of sin. To say the devil is our master. He said, no way, I'm not possessed by a devil. No, we're not possessed by him, but we follow his suggestions, his instructions. We're willing servants of his. When he tells us to lie, we lie. When he tells us to use the Lord's name in vain and to have a, a foul mouth, we do it. When he tells us to explode and be angry, we do it. When he tells us to get drunk, we do it. Or to look at porn or to lust or, or to... Uh, Hold grudges and not forgive. Whatever he tells us to do, we do it and we're happy to do it. He who commits sin is a servant of sin. And the thing with sin is that we can't stop it. We fool ourselves into thinking that we can stop it. How many times does an alcoholic say, I can stop any time I want? I'm not an alcoholic. I can stop any time I want. Can we really? We don't stop. How often has the alcoholic, how often has the doctor says, if you don't stop drinking, 
you're going to die. If you don't stop your addiction to nicotine, if you don't stop eating the wrong foods, if you don't stop whatever it is, you're going to die. We know it, but we can't stop. Had a, a young man in my office once who, and maybe I told you this story, I don't know, but he was addicted to child porn. That's what he was addicted to. And I, I, I told him, and he says, well, I'm going to stop. I've, I've moved all that stuff off my computer. It won't be a problem anymore. I told him, I said, no. I said, you can't stop. He says, I'm going to live a good moral life. I'm going to be decent. I'm going to do a good thing and so on. And I asked him, I said, do you realize that you could go to jail for that? Do you realize that the gov- you're in the military, that the government could come and, 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 uh, and arrest you? He goes, yeah, I, I, I realize all that. I know all that. But he still did it anyway. That's the slavery of sin. How often do we make vows that we'll stop? That we'll stop doing something, that we won't do it anymore. Only to do it again and again and again. But Jesus says, what? Take my yoke upon you. What does that mean? That we submit our lives to Jesus Christ. That we surrender our lives to him. That we live for him. We obey his laws, his precepts. We follow him. His life becomes our life. Our life is hid in Jesus. That we follow Christ. That we serve Christ. That we yield up willing obedience to him. That we consult him in everything. That he's our master and our Lord and our king. And whatever he says, it goes. That we love him more than brother, sister, father, or mother. That we uh, surrender our lives to him. We lose our lives for Jesus Christ. That's what it means to take our yoke upon him. It's a life of restraint. It's a life that's hidden Christ. It's a life that follows Christ. It's a life that seeks Christ. It's a life that goes to Christ. And Jesus makes this astonishing claim. He says, why? He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, I've Easy yoke compared to the world's yoke. The world makes promises which they cannot fulfill. The world promises us stuff that they cannot cash in on. How many times have we been disappointed by the world? How many times have we been discouraged? How many times have we been lied to and deceived? How many times have we followed what the world says and only to be disappointed again and again and again. How often have we regretted following the world? I've never heard anyone regret following Christ. I was reading a little blurb about Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle, for you young people, he was uh, one of the great baseball players of his generation. He played for the Yankees. Um, there was no one that could really compare to him. It was him and Willie Mays. And Ricky Mant- I mean, uh, Mickey Mantle had a drinking problem, a big one. And he, and he drank so much that he had to have, uh, uh, he had liver cancer. He had to have a liver transplant. He didn't live long. And he says this at the end of his life. He never said anything about all of the great accomplishments that he made as a baseball player, all the home runs he hits, all the 
MVPs that he won. Here's what he said. He says, I screwed up my life. I ruined my life by drinking and by boozing and so on. Don't do what I did. That's what he said at the end of his life. Following the world will lead to a life of regret. But Jesus says his joke is easy. His burden is light. Following Christ will lead you to eternal life. Jesus is meek and lowly of heart. He's a compassionate God. Is it easy being a Christian in this world? No, it's not. We're soldiers of Christ. Many of you are going through difficult times and tribulations and problems and trials and so on. But Jesus says that he makes the burden light. Why? Because he's with us. He understands. He knows us. He knows your name. He knows where you live. He knows what your problem is. He knows how you're being treated. He knows. He sees. I know you want everyone to know. I know you want everyone to know what you're going through. I know you want everyone to know that someone cares. Well, Jesus cares. He knows. He sees. No one knows. You might be suffering in silence, but Jesus is there with you. And he'll give you strength to carry on. Strength to follow Strength. What is it that you're going through? What's your burden this morning? Is it sickness? Is it a money problem? Is it issues? What is it? Jesus knows. His burden is light. He'll get you through it. He'll see you through it. He promises to see you through it. He says, I will do it. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the wonderful thing is that Jesus suffered like we suffered. He's a compassionate high priest. He knows and understands who we are. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He promises to lead us down the pathway of righteousness. And even in the midst of all of our suffering and pain, he's compassionate. He loves us. Jesus, David says that he has not punished us or chastised us according to what our sins deserves. He knows our frames. He remembers that we are dust. He knows who we are. He loves us. He died for us. He paid a a valuable price for us. He understands who we are. His eyes are on us every step of the way. When my mom passed about 20-something years ago, I'll never forget when the elder came by my house. He said this. He quoted John 17. When Jesus says, he prayed, I pray that those who you've given me may be where I am. And he says, when he took your mom, the father answered the son's prayer. Jesus wants you to be with him. And he's going to lead you down the pathway of righteousness. Because he loves you. And he cares for you. For those of you who do not know him. Yes, maybe you said, I've. I've been in church. I've tried it. It didn't work. The Bible says, come to Jesus. All who are weary and heavy laden. You're out in the world trying to make it in this world, trying to deal with the issues of this world. Jesus says, come to me and find rest for your souls. It's through him that we find forgiveness. It's through him that we find love. It's through him that we find mercy, grace, and peace. Come to him and cast your sins upon him. Amen.
Lord, we, th- we thank you for the invitation that you've given us. Lord, I pray that by faith we would come to you if we have not come to you. Lord, I pray that even though we have come to you, Lord, oftentimes we get sidetracked and we get discouraged. Help us to return to our first love. Help us to come to you. Help us to receive that love and that grace which you promised to give us. Lord, I pray that you would bless us, enable us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.